Hello, you are listening to Beyond the Briefcase, a law school podcast with Sarah and Meg. This episode is part of a mini-series on some bad habits that law students may encounter. If you're interested in learning more about procrastination or imposter syndrome and our experiences with them, check out our previous two episodes. This week, we're going to be exploring something that law students are bound to encounter, things not going your way. We share with you our experiences as well as some tips and tricks on how to deal with rejection and failure during law school. So with respect to rejection and failure, I think they can take place uh, in many different forms. And I think that one really important uh, kind of idea to internalize from the onset is that in specialized programs, in specialized professions, rejection and failure, they are inevitable. I think it's important to start this conversation with that idea, um, that in areas of your life, like educational programs, in extracurriculars and volunteering, in jobs, as well as personal uh, life obligations, there are going to be moments where things just do not go your way, whether that's something small that you can easily deal with or something that feels huge and insurmountable. In this episode, however, we are going to be focusing on more academic and career forms of rejections. However, I do think it's worth noting that some of these tips can definitely be applied to other areas of your life. So why don't we have, um, why don't we start with talking about our experiences with rejection and failure and how we deal with it. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Of course, I feel like everyone's going to deal with it a bit differently, but I think there are some main tips and tricks that everyone can follow to kind of try to minimize the negative impact of rejection and failure and try to see it in a more positive or constructive way, which Again, listeners, is very difficult. I'm not saying that this is something that I've ever done naturally or has come easily to me. But with time, uh, you're going to be able to implement it. And it makes your life so much easier, I find at least. When I've been able to, and not even implement it perfectly, but at least catch myself when I go into negative spirals, it's helped with, I would say, pretty much all aspects of uh, my life. And so for me, one big experience of rejection um, that that happened was when I was doing a job search after graduating from university during the pandemic. Uh, I wasn't getting interviews. I wasn't getting any callbacks for positions and positions for which I felt really overqualified. And it's easy to fall into excuses and to find excuses to feel better. Um, like saying, oh, it's because I was overqualified, so they didn't think that I would actually stay in the position for a long time. Or, oh, they probably hired someone internally. Or, oh, it's because it's during the pandemic, so there's a limited number of jobs anyway, a lot of people lost their jobs, and there's a lot more competition. It's not all bad to do that because it is true that sometimes there are external factors that come into play. You don't want to kind of over internalize it and think it's because you're a terrible person and you can't do anything right. But I think it's a trap to also always kind of externalize the issues. And sometimes when you experience something like that, it's a good time to self reflect 
to introspect and to determine if there are things that you might have done better. One example for me could have been reworking my resume, reworking my cover letters. I was applying to a lot of jobs at once. And so a lot of the times I was reusing cover letters, which is not the best thing to do because you want to make sure that your cover letter is really tailored to the specific job and even your resume as well. So these are things that I feel like I should have done at the time rather than kind of focus on the stress that I was feeling and, oh, you know, the uh, the worry about not be, I, I had also moved to Toronto at that time. So also the worry of finances and everything like that. And to just take it as it came, know it was a difficult time, but not make that prevent me from pursuing the application for jobs. I think what you said is really interesting that you can you can reflect about external possibilities and you can internal and you can self-reflect and introspect. I don't think the two of them are mutually exclusive whatsoever, right? Like by no means do you always have to like fault yourself and blame yourself and and be too humble to the point where, you know, in our last episode we talked a lot about imposter syndrome, right? There's no point in when things don't go your way to catastrophize into that but at the same time you know what can often be productive is to go okay well what are things I can definitely change I can definitely change aspects about myself that makes a lot of sense to me at least versus I can change things that are totally external and beyond me so I just wanted to note that I I really liked what you said about um, those ideas not being incompatible whatsoever no, exactly. And it's important. It's an important psychological concept, too, that you don't want to have too much of an external locus of control, uh, because then you'll feel that you're never going to be able to change anything. And it can actually as much as it can maybe help you in the moment, it can become negative later on because you're not going to feel the need or not understand the purpose of putting effort and wanting to try things if, if you always have the understanding that it's something external to you that's actually going to be the main factor in determining the outcome. And then same thing, if you have too much of an internal locus of control and you think that everything negative is because of something you've done, then that can become very self-defeating. So I think it's important to balance the two and use each of the opportunities as a way to potentially improve yourself and use it as constructive, but also be able to recognize that sometimes there's nothing constructive to come out of it. It's very possible. I've known a lot of people that I believe shouldn't got should have gotten a specific position, should have gotten into a specific program and didn't. And there doesn't seem to be objectively anything they could have improved upon. Um, sometimes it really is just circumstance, but I think it's important to be critical and to be able to distinguish between the two. Um, then another time that I really dealt with rejection and failure was uh, I actually applied to a master's degree in psychotherapy uh, when I in the last year of my psychology program and I was waitlisted and I was extremely disappointed because I felt like I was qualified for the program and honestly but but also it's a, not something that I really wanted to do. I had decided to, that it was something that I could do in the meantime while figuring out what I really wanted. Um, just because I knew that finding a job after having a degree, just a degree could be difficult. And I wasn't necessarily 
ready to embark on that process. So I was like, oh, it's going to be easier to just stay in school. Let me see if I can do graduate studies. And it's very possible that that was something that was felt in my application. And I think that's important to note too for people wanting to go in law that you really need to make sure that it's something that you're passionate about and that you really want to do. Not only, again, like I said, because maybe the admissions team is going to feel that, but also now that I think back, I think it would have been unfair if I had taken a spot from someone that really, really wanted to become a psychotherapist and do that as their career. And I was just there to get another credential. Now, it's fair if you realize later on, once you started a program that you don't want to do it, that's okay. I wouldn't blame yourself for taking a spot from someone. But if you know from the get-go that it's not something that you actually want to do and are interested in, I think then it's time to probably rethink your plan. And for me, for example, I should have gotten up the courage to just go into the job force or take, you know, a year break or whatever and kind of <laughs> discover what I wanted to do, which is what I did ultimately with law. But at the time, um, I wasn't ready for that. I really wanted a linear path, but linear paths are not always the best path. What's really interesting is, one, I think that's all very interesting. And as someone coming from a, a graduate degree, I will actually share a little about the selection process in a second. But I, I completely love this idea that you do not have to immediately jump from program or program or profession or profession uh, and embark upon something when you within yourself already know that it's probably too premature. That's how I felt about law school, to be honest, now that I can kind of look back on it is I think that if I were to go, if I were to have gone from undergrad to law school immediately, I think it would have been a disaster. I think I think mentally I would not be up for it. I think I would not be able to juggle the workload and the amount of reading and the amount of processing in the way that I can now. Um, and obviously, you know, like, uh, you know, what is it like uh, 2020 vision, hindsight, everything like that. But, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I think that if you within your within your gut have this feeling of I'm just not ready for this yet. I really want to do this, but I, I, I don't think I'm going to be very happy or comfortable or actually confident at this moment. I don't think there's anything wrong with um, taking a couple of years, because I, I think that even with a little bit amount of time, that is going to help you feel more confident and assertive um, in a program as challenging as law school. Um, exactly. I think it's important because it also helps you grow. These are things that maybe you would conceive as being trials and different things like that, but they really help you uncover who you are, how you typically react to things. And that's something that's been very helpful for me in, in law school. Uh, one great example is just that I used to ruminate and go over exams and assignments over and over and over again while waiting for a grade to be released. And I was in a constant state of stress to the point where it was um, creeping up in my dreams. I was visualizing myself retaking an exam and going over every single question and like, oh, wait, maybe I should have picked B for this one and not A or whatnot. And now I'm able to really just detach myself and let it be and just I'll see I'll see when I get the grade. Right. And that's a big step for me, at least. That's not something that I was even close to being able to do in undergrad. And I think it's the fact that I kind of strayed off that direct path that I thought I wanted to go on that helped me 
kind of make these realizations. And so, although this is very corny, it's good to look at the bigger picture. And that often when you don't get something or something doesn't go your way, there's another better thing that's coming. And I honestly, everyone, I used to believe that this advice was bogus. But I do realize now that it's often true. Because like, for example, in the case of the master's program, it's not something that I really wanted. So ultimately, not being accepted immediately was a blessing because it allowed me to move on to other things. Um, so I think it's important to when things like this happen, to let it fuel your effort and determination rather than defeat you and for you to decide to not want to do anything anymore. I think so. I What's really interesting is, you know, uh, kind of going back to the your master's um, application story. I, I think that a lot of people, when they apply for graduate programs, think that selection committees only really assess them individually. And sometimes it is the matter where actually a quite a bit of emphasis is put on how your application will look with respect to other people in creating a cohort. Um, and so when you said that anecdote about not really perhaps wanting to be there and perhaps that could be read from that application I think that is a a good assessment I think that's a, a possible assessment I really do because um it really is such the case where if you're applying to something like graduate school or if you're applying to something like law school and medical school these selection committees are going you know is is x a really successful person likely you you are right however they'll also ask questions like is x capable of complementing uh you know the other people in this larger cohort or does x really uh or is you know is x capable of seeing you know what sarah said like the bigger picture and going you know what there's going to be tons of opportunities where things are not going to go my way, but I have a larger picture in mind. So some of these more, you know, soft skills or kind of less uh, or more amorphous, maybe like even matters of chemistry. I, I will say that that's something that committees and, you know, um, application processes, it's something that they're interested in. And that could be the fact that that does influence whether or not you get rejected or admitted. But it's something I think it's important to understand, too, that often when you are met with rejection, it's actually not a means of a, like your individual failure. It's not a committee going, you suck or you're not great or you will never amount to anything. It really is something it really is sometimes a committee going. It's just not going to have that chemistry with the other people that we're interested in. That, that's true. And I think that's important for people to note if you're going through kind of the application process. Um, like you said, it's really holistic and there's so many things that can go into it. And so it's possible that you're perfect on paper and that it just won't work that year. But that doesn't mean that the next time you apply, you won't get in. So if it's something that you know that you really want to do, don't let that dissuade you and don't let that don't let that make you give up on on your dream let's say. Um, I have two kind of additional tips that I wanted to give with regard to dealing with rejection and failure that I feel like helped me at least. One, creating realistic expectations for yourself. I feel like it's easy to, you know, when you have dreams and everything like that, you want, you want to be able to achieve anything and everything all at once. 
I feel like everyone can do whatever they set their mind to, but sometimes you need to do it incrementally. And we kind of want to go directly to the biggest thing immediately. And that's not always possible. And then also not putting all of your eggs in one basket. That's something that I've done a lot. And and luckily in certain cases, it actually worked out, (laughs) but I feel like even for law school, for example, regardless of how convinced you are that you're going to get into your dream school, it's always a good idea to have a few backup plans because that way, if it actually doesn't go the way you want, at least you're not prevented from going the route you want to go. And if you decide that you want to wait another year to get into your dream school, that's fair as well. But you'll have that option rather than being forced into a specific direction that maybe you didn't want. I agree with that. How you interpret and meet rejection and failure, I think comes from how you interpret your goals. Because is your goal to get into U of T or Harvard or Princeton or Yale? Or is your goal to become a lawyer? I think those are two very, very different goals, right? If you know for a fact that your specific goal is to get into X school or get into Y school, then obviously, I mean, you might have to accept that your chance of rejection is a lot higher, right? Some of these schools only take in, you know, two or 3% of the uh, applicant pool, right? So if you know that to be the statistic, they only take uh, people of a certain LSAT score. They only take people of a certain work experience score. If you know that to be true, then to some extent, it's a larger gamble, right? But if you think that your goal is to become a lawyer or your goal is to help people in a specific capacity or your goal is to do a specific kind of research or a specific kind of writing, all of a sudden, by broadening or perhaps reinterpreting or clarifying what your goal is, you have also changed how that goal might not succeed or might not be accepted right that's that's my interpretation anyways for sure and I think it's also important to do some research into the goal that you want to achieve because let's say you want to work for a specific firm there's a lot of preconceived ideas that the only way you'll be able to go to Bay Street let's say is if you go to the University of Toronto and that's not true take the time to look at those big firms at the people who are currently working there and you'll see that there's a mix and match of people often granted I must say that People that work on Bay Street are often going to be people that attended schools in Toronto. And that's just simply, I think, that often when you go to a specific city for school, you're often going to tend to stay in that city career-wise. I don't think it's a a selection on the university itself, but more on on the location and and the willingness of people to stay in in that city. Um, But you'll notice that by no means are the only people hired at Blake's, let's say, people from the University of Toronto. And that's a really good point because again, right, that means that if you get rejected, maybe on your first go around or your second go around, that might not necessarily be indicative of your lack of ability or your, your you know, personal failure or your, you know, lack of intelligence, whatever, whatever, however it is easy to kind of attribute those to personal failings. It could be, like Sarah said, that they're more interested in people who will be committed to a location or are more interested in people who have like had this specific kind of work experience. That to some extent is not a personal failure in any way. It's it's really just circumstance, right? Um, so, so I think that's a excellent point. Um, I can go ahead and share and share my experience now. Um, I think that 
<laughs> I think it's similar to what uh, we spoke about in our previous episode on imposter syndrome. I-, I think if you come from this kind of gifted kid mentality, it can be very delicious and tempting to be <laughs> dramatic, <laughs> to be dramatic about rejection and failure, right? And to attribute things not going your way with some kind of cosmic or celestial wrongdoing. When the moment you take that opportunity to step aside, do some introspection, go, you know what, it's not that big of a deal, you begin to kind of understand that often it is just circumstance and there's nothing more to it. What's really interesting too is I think one of my most memorable experiences of failure. And I think one moment where in retrospect, I can go, I really did not deal well with that at all (laughs) is I did a lot of mock trial in high school. Um, I did, you know, I was captain for two years and in grade 12, when we did uh, one of our final tournaments, it went horribly awry. It really just did not go the way that I had anticipated, you know, and as someone who put a lot of practice and dedication into this, I had this strange interpretation that because I put so much labor into it, that it would always come up roses. One, I think that's, I I don't think that's actually a very helpful way to look at things, right? Particularly when you work in a competitive profession or you work in something where, the other party is going to be working just as hard, right? To some extent, the kind of labor that you see yourself doing is hopefully the kind of labor that your competitors are doing too, right? Um, But when, you know, when we lost that first round, I just thought to myself, oh, I just don't think I can ever do this again. I just don't think I actually really like this at all. And it really took me about six or seven or eight years to actually process it because I was just so upset by it. And it was really tempting for me to just walk away completely from law and go, you know what, because because high school mock trial didn't turn out the way I wanted, it means that I can't be a lawyer. Which, again, in retrospect, I think that's crazy. I think that's just, the two really are not connected at all. And now having, you know, us gone through half of this first semester of law school, I will actually say that the two really are not that connected. You know, if you struggle with something like oral advocacy or you struggle with something like high intense competition in that very small framework, I think you can do very, very well in law school because I think that the fundamental skills are actually, they're not exactly the same. I think that if you really enjoy mock trial, you really enjoy those kinds of, you know, strong bursts of oral advocacy and competition, you will do well too. But but this idea of going, I have been rejected once, I have failed once, I can never even touch this field again, I think is a dangerous way to um, approach profession um, and careers. Um, in terms of school applications, I was always someone that could that went, you know what, I am interested in some of these bigger schools. So the chance of me being rejected is actually really high. Um, and so one piece of advice that I got from a high school teacher was that sometimes it can be helpful to just look at applications as being a crapshoot, where sometimes you just cannot anticipate how selection committees are going to decide and where they're going to go. And... Th- it is important to have contingency plans, right? So again, what is the goal? Is your goal to be a specific professor or a specific lawyer 
in a specific school or a specific firm. If that's your goal, then your chance of failing is very, very high, right? Because you've put all of these caveats in place. But if you have something like a more general goal, then all of a sudden, uh, there's many, many ways that you can succeed. I think that's the way to look at it. Um, and then in terms of in terms of grades, in terms of job applications, I think that sometimes this preemptive fear of rejection and failure can dissuade, at least dissuaded me from applying a lot to you know certain jobs or to certain programs. It, it sometimes kept me on this kind of straight and narrow of, well, this is the kind of experience I had, so I'm, I'm just going to keep leaning into this. And to be honest, you know, when I decided to walk away from the graduate program that I was in, one big thought was if I go to law school, I could fail pretty demonstrably. It could be the fact that this is just going to be like mock trial all over again and I am just not going to succeed or I'm going to deal with so many small bursts of competition that I'm not going to be able to um, to persist. And I'm really glad that I didn't listen to that kind of anticipatory fear of failure because one, I think it's important to see that a lot of these things that you're interested in, it's not just like that one skill. It's not just that one ability. A lot of these things are really broad and you get the opportunity to learn from people from different skill sets. So it's similar to what we spoke about in our last episode, where uh, if you think that you're going to be this natural genius and this natural expert or this natural virtuoso, the moment you enter a field or the moment you enter a program, that's probably going to lead to a lot of feelings of failure and rejection. However, if you're someone who is able to just take it in stride to know, you know what, here we go. We'll see how this goes. Hopefully I'll do well. I'm going to try really hard at doing well. But if I fail or if I get rejected, then I'm just going to have to try again. I think that kind of mentality is going to do you well. Um, there you go. And I would say you never know where opportunities are going to arise as well when it comes to kind of preventing yourself from from doing things because of that fear of failure. For example, for me, when I started working in compliance, I didn't have any relevant experience whatsoever. It just happened. So you never know. I always say to just try because the worst that's going to happen is that, for example, for a job application, you won't hear back. When it comes to program applications, that I would be a bit more conscious about. And that's simply because there's a monetary cost associated with it. So you can't just apply to a million different programs because, yeah, it's, it's going to be very, very expensive. But when it comes to job applications, you can literally apply to millions of jobs without any negative effect to yourself, except for it will take a bit of time. But you never know what's going to come out of it, right? And same thing for taking taking different chances and getting involved in things within your current job, within your current program, right? Even if you have no experience that you think is relevant. Because sometimes it's it's a lot more applicable than you think. And I think that I, I definitely agree with that. And I think that, you know, the moment you get rejected or the moment you fail, that's OK. Uh, allow yourself to feel those feelings of disappointment. But there's no point, And I don't think anything is so important that you have to punish yourself again and again forever. What is the point in that? Right. The moment something ends, you just go, OK, perfect. What did I learn from this? And how do I go upon finding either a similar or even different opportunity? 
um, it's really interesting because, you know, Sarah, you keep saying it's like, oh, I didn't have experience in compliance. But like now you have so much experience in compliance. Right. And so I think that's just how it works sometimes. Right. Is you go, you know what? I'm probably going to fail at this. But the more I persist in it, actually, the more experience I'm getting anyways, even if I'm not doing, quote unquote, as well as I thought I would. So it's interesting. It's like allow yourself to feel those feelings, but also go, you know what? It's probably not as big of a deal as I'm making it up to be in that specific moment. Exactly. And maybe it's for the best. Yeah, I think so, too. It's hard to see when you're disappointed, but hindsight. 2020. I can say from experience. Yeah, exactly. I can say from experience that often it is it is the case. Yes. Um, well, that's that's my experience. Sarah, do you have any other um, kind of concluding ideas? I think we covered everything. Um, I would say only important thing is that the way you deal with rejection and everything like that, like we mentioned a bit at the beginning, very subjective. Like we love saying in law, it depends. It depends on the circumstances and how you normally react to things. But hopefully hearing about our experiences a bit and, and things that have helped us will help you as well. If you just so happen to experience a similar kind of situation in the future. And I'll just say, listeners, to take you behind the curtain a little bit, we are recording this during the reading week. And, you know, after a reading week, at least at the University of Toronto, we're going to be sprinting towards the finish, right? Sprinting towards exam season. So I'm going to be thinking a lot about this episode <laughs> as we ease into uh, what will sure, surely be, you know, moments of failure. <laughs> I, I agree. I think that's important because, yeah, we Everyone in law school wants to be at the top of their class and most people will not get there. That's just the reality. And yeah. so it's important for us to kind of brace ourselves that maybe, you know, we won't be the top, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to get to work where we want to work at the end. And I know for a fact that we're going to be graduating and we need to, we should be proud of ourselves. At least that that's a guarantee. I think so too. With that bittersweet realization, <laughs> let's end the episode. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond the Briefcase. And listeners, this is actually our, uh, not only the last episode in this mini series, but it's actually one of our last episodes of our first season. Um, so in December, we do hope to release a few episodes where we talk about preparing for exams and recapping our first semester. However, um, we're also going to be working really hard on preparing our next season. So we're really happy and grateful, and we feel very honored and privileged that you've tune in so far if you've enjoyed this episode or other episodes that we've made please rate review subscribe share them with your friends it is the best way that you can help us promote our work also if you enjoyed this episode check out our instagram at beyond the briefcase podcast to keep in touch as well as to up to date with our episodes and when you can expect season two Thank you to Adam, our technical producer. And of course, thank you listeners for tuning in. I've been Meg. I've been Sarah. Bye. <laughs>